Um, and we're really hard on ourselves. And I think it's it comes from the rest of the world being hard on us. So I think learning that I had ADHD and that I was autistic helped me be gentle with myself and just expect different things out of me. I've got my own set of unique experiences that I can bring to the table, but I can't quite fake the other ones. And I get to stop trying to be something that I'm not. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I am your host, Katie Weber. I'd like to share with you this review from the Apple podcast platform from a listener called Nicely Done. It's called Needed This at Age 18, Grateful to Find It Now. I always thought I was just flaky and different and emotional. I was diagnosed with ADHD late in life after a marriage counselor said I showed classic signs. I never fully followed up. I saw a specialist twice who suggested I exercise and meditate every day. Then COVID hit and I was relieved that the overwhelm from kids' soccer games and playdates would go away. Now soccer and school are back and transitions are hitting me hard. Every single episode I have heard has been so validating. I'm taking steps again to get support, but I'm truly thrilled to listen to this along my journey. Thank you so much. What an enormous gift to hear myself and my challenges in others' stories. Yes, nicely done. I couldn't agree more. It's incredible how cathartic it is for us to recognize ourselves in other women's stories and how that recognition gives us permission to feel like because others are also encountering these similar life experiences that maybe we're not terrible humans. Maybe we're not the problem. And then the real healing begins. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD or think you have ADHD and you're looking for expert guidance, support, and resources, come join us in the Women and ADHD online community. Head to womenandadhd.com to join, and you'll find a link to that in the show notes. Okay, here we are at episode 67, in which I interview Carrington Bruton. Carrington is an actress best known for her breakout role as Jill on the show Empire. She is also an influencer, a published author, and the CEO of Temple Face and Body, a clean luxury skincare brand. Now, Carrington was diagnosed with ADHD and autism spectrum disorder back in October 2020 after a SPECT brain imaging. And SPECT stands for Single Photon Emission Computed Tomography. She describes that whole experience as well as what it's been like to look back on her life through this new lens and double whammy diagnosis. We discuss her experiences as an actress with ADHD and ASD, and we also talk about entrepreneurialism and relationships and why TikTok has become such a great resource for mental health awareness and advocacy. All right, enjoy. But you have a really fascinating story in terms of your diagnosis that I've, I know from you've shared a little bit in your TikTok videos, uh, but kind of walk me through like what, what was happening in your life when you first started to put the pieces together and think that this might be ADHD? Yeah. So my story is interesting and I've listened to your podcast and I know everyone has this amazing story about what made them think it was ADHD. And my story is the opposite in that I didn't go into pursuing a diagnosis, thinking that I had ADHD. I got um, SPECT scan imaging done with uh, Dr. Daniel Amen. And I went into it thinking, okay, so I know I'm going to come out and be told that I've got OCD. I know that. I know I'm going to come out being told that I am depressed. I know that. But um, <laughs> I walked out with four diagnoses, um, found out that I have ADHD, primarily inattentive, and also that I'm autistic. So I... I didn't go into it thinking like, oh, this is ADHD. As a matter of fact, I listened to his book on Audible and the chapter on ADHD right over my head. Really? <laughs> 
I'm just like, oh, that's interesting. Some people have that, not me, but some people have like have that. So I was actually completely shocked to learn that I had ADHD. But you know, upon looking at the symptoms and all of that, upon going into hyperfocus about it, like we do after learning that I had it, everything made sense. I mean, my entire life yeah. flashed before my eyes and made sense. Right? Yeah, it is. It's incredible. Okay, so tell me more about these the tests and the scans like what you just you just saw you you heard okay so I remember you you read you listened to his book and you were just like this is amazing I want to go to Chicago and do these tests or do you live in Chicago or I live about an hour outside of Chicago I'm in the south suburbs um but I actually watched this YouTuber her name is Kenzie Elizabeth and she's really open about her struggles with mental health and she was reading this book and I was like, I need to read it. You know, not only do I really relate to her, but I've also been super interested my entire life in the workings of the brain. Um, And I think it makes me really self-aware. And that's how I knew something was going on. I was like, okay, so I know how brains are supposed to work. I don't think that mine works like that. And maybe I should look into it. So she mentioned reading the book. Of course, I downloaded it, guzzled it up. And I was like, I need to find one of these aiming clinics. So I took to Google and of course there was one in Chicago, which was amazing. So I made my appointment. Um, they shoot you up with this lovely dye and, and which was terrifying for me because I hate needles, but this was, it really felt life or death for me to, you know, go into it and come out with some answers for once in my life. And so um, they do, they take all these pictures of your brain at work. So I did the, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the test that they have you take where they give you instructions about when to press the space bar as things pop up on your computer screen and when to not press the space bar. So I was so incredibly bored during taking that test because inattentive. And I remember getting my results and my doctor's like, um, were you really bored um, when you were taking this test? I was like, oh my God, I was so bored. She's like, yeah, that's called ADHD. I mean, you have it. So, so that's, um, that's what I remember about the ADHD testing. I just remember being really bored. So, yeah. No. What happened? And I was actually, again, like, I could not have been more shocked to come out with these extra two diagnoses. But again, doing research, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so autistic. This makes so much sense. But apparently, I have trouble recognizing facial expressions. I did not know that. I think that I'm, again, a really self-aware person. And I think that I'm aware of other people. Um, And I just, I didn't know that that was an issue that I had. And I guess I would be someone who has, if we were still using the terminology, um, Asperger or Asperger's. Um, And so I I think maybe that's why it hasn't felt like it's hindered me my entire life. But I had no idea that I had such tremendous issue with looking at a picture of someone and saying, this is what they're feeling. I thought I was good at it like my entire life. So um, I think that was the big marker there. Um, And then also I love routine. Um, and I, my ADHD hates routine, but my autism loves it. Um, so there were different things like that. There's, you know, the interview that you have to go through and your family and friends have to get asked tons of questions about your day to day. Um, lots of rigidity, um, love of routine, and then the trouble with identifying, um, emotions on other people's faces, but also alexithymia. Like I have trouble identifying my own emotions sometimes. I'm like, I feel, yeah, I'm like, I'm, fine. And that's always like my go-to. Uh, even in therapy, my doctor's like, okay, this is a chart. 
um, what out of these things are you feeling? And I'm just like, uh, that one. You know, so it takes, me, it takes me a minute to kind of identify what it is that I'm feeling. And that's an autism trait. So interesting. Yeah, we do. Talk, I've heard of the, you know, the term interoception and that kind of inability to really tune into what exactly is happening in your body. And, yeah. and I certainly relate to a lot of that, especially when it comes to, you know, feeling rage out of no, seemingly out of nowhere and really kind of having to dig deep and be like, what yeah. is that? What was happening? Because yeah. usually it's 12 little things that have all been sort of happening over the course of a long period of time that finally yeah. erupt. And we just really like, don't pay it. Like, it's not even, it's really just, yeah, not um, registering. It doesn't register in yeah. some way. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm not articulating it very well. <laughs> I'm curious as you know, you're an actor has, what kind of like insight has this given to you into this chosen profession? Cause I, I feel like there must be some really interesting um, personality or, or interesting parallels between like acting and um, taking on roles, you know, and, and taking on personalities and masking and some of the ways in which we sort of have the, you know, we I talk, I have a lot of conversations on this podcast about like the difference between our external persona and our internal persona. And I feel like mm -hmm. as an actor, that must be really pronounced. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so funny because I'm actually going to film some TikToks after this uh, interview. And there's one that I really want to film. And it's like, people like you. And she's like, no, people like the curated version <laughs> of me that I bring to each individual conversation. And I'm like, that's so spot on. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I feel like as far as um, things making sense in life, again, after realizing what alexithymia is and it made sense to me why every acting teacher is always like, I just, I, I can't feel what you're feeling. Are you angry? And I'm like, yeah, I'm angry. And they're like, angry at a what? I'm like, at like a eight. They're like, you look angry at a three. Um, so it just that made sense to me. And I think that it enables me to be more gentle with myself and stop telling myself that I'm talentless. <laughs> talentless Cause you know that that downward spiral can take effect really quick. Um, and we're really hard on ourselves. And I think, it's, it comes from the rest of the world being hard on us. Um, so I think learning that I had ADHD and that I was autistic helped me be gentle with myself and just expect different things out of me. I've got my own set of unique experiences that I can bring to the table, um, but I can't quite fake the other ones. And I get to stop trying to be something that I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, and then as far as the different inner and different outer <laughs> personas, um, I don't know. I would, I'm definitely an introvert for sure. But I think sometimes I've been into ambivert territory where when it's time to show up and be on and be bubbly, I can totally do that with the best of them. And then I get in my car and I'm like, <sighs> I'm yeah. just like I need that moment to, you know, take a step back. But I wouldn't say that it, I'm like pretending or I guess it is masking though, but I wouldn't say that I'm pretending. I just think that I'm being just a different extension of who I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I get that. I mean, I, I feel like that's another conversation I have a lot, which is the, am I, am I an extrovert or an introvert question? Because I'm the same. I love to perform. I love public speaking. And like, I have, you know, I have no issues with, you know, being on a stage 
but I also, you know, I require a lot of alone time and a lot of downtime. And, and yeah, I think this diagnosis has just, like you said, like allowed me to have a lot more grace and kindness when it comes to spending 24 hours straight lying in bed, staring at a wall, (laughs) whereas I don't think of myself as being like a failure at life anymore. It's really just like, oh, I'm recharging. (laughs) Yes, I'm decompressing. I'm recharging. I need this. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Helpful Hemp. Helpful Hemp is a woman-owned company selling all organic and USA-grown CBD products, including tinctures, gummies, soft gels, skincare and topicals, and even pet products. The owner of Helpful Hemp, Lana Phillips, is a fellow late-diagnosed ADHD entrepreneur and military wife. Now, anecdotally, I've always loved the calming effects of CBD that help me get in the zone. I use it to take the edge off when I know I'm going to be in a stressful or overstimulating situation, like loud gatherings of people. And many adults with ADHD regularly rely on CBD to help them improve their sleep, achieve higher concentration levels, and reduce impulsivity. And as a special offer for listeners of the Women in ADHD podcast, you will get 10% off your order with the code WOMENADHD. Simply sign up at helpfulhemp.com slash WOMENADHD and enter the code WOMENADHD at checkout. And you will find those links in the show notes. Again, that's helpfulhemp.com slash WOMENADHD for 10% off your order. Um, so now what are some things looking back since your diagnoses, uh, you know, looking back over your childhood and your life growing up where you were just like, holy crap, the signs were there all along. Yeah. Um, I remember getting marks on my report card about uh, being talkative. Um, cause I've always been really, it's funny. I'm an introvert at heart, but I can be really sociable. I love talking to people. I've never met a stranger. So I got marks on my report card about that. Um, for a long time, I was really good about keeping my room in order. Um, and then some, you know, flip was switched or switch was flipped and room became a disaster. Book, you know, book bag disaster. <laughs> so really messy. Um, I've never been very forgetful. I don't, um, that trait is turned down for me. Um, what else though? I was horrible at math because it bored me to tears. I just could not it wasn't stimulating to me. And so I just wasn't getting it. So I was just listening to an episode that you did uh, a couple or a few episodes ago, this early ish October. And we were talking about how we have that inconsistency where we're getting A's in the things that we love. And then we're getting like D's and F's in the things that we are, that bore us. And that was definitely my experience. Um, same thing with choreography. Uh, I did cheerleading and dance and I just was always, I couldn't quite, you know, I'd watch and then I would think that I would have it. And then I'm like, okay, I, I forgot. Or like my body just won't do the thing. Um, and then I think the biggest thing um, is that feeling of, and I think this is really prominent in adults with ADHD, that feeling of everyone else has it together and I am a hot mess. Perpetual hot mess. I think that's been the biggest thing for me um, is like um, that feeling of lack of direction and just like, I don't know how to adult. I'm now understanding that a lot of that is due to executive dysfunction and just being understimulated in the things that stimulate a lot of other people, or maybe they're not even finding them stimulating, but they can just move themselves to do the things. Um, 
I'm just, again, I have a lot more grace with myself. And now what was your family's reaction? Because that must have been, you know, a big, uh, a big mental health bomb to drop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely shocking to me. Um, I have people in my life. So clearly I'm, I'm black and there is a lot of um, like taboo around mental health. And so I think my family's in the process of unlearning all of that. Um, it's a lot of, you're like unconditioning or deconditioning. Um, and so they love me and I'm in family therapy with my mom and my sister. And we are working through some issues that we've had for as long as I can remember. But, you know, now I'm learning that a lot of that had to do with ADHD and a lot of that, um, it's just, a, it's just, it comes down to a difference in the workings of our brains. Mm-hmm. So we're working through some things. I definitely have people in my life that um, love me. And I have some people, I've got some really great friends who are super gracious whenever I forget to text them back or haven't reached out in weeks. Um, so yeah, I've got a, I've got a, got a support system. Mm-hmm. I think for me, um, I've always been really independent though as well. Um, I don't feel like I require a ton of other people. And I think that maybe comes down to the autism um, as well, just kind of being a, a lone wolf by nature. Um, I think as long as I understand what's going on and I'm doing the best that I can to take care of me and show up for myself, I'm okay. Like I kind of don't put that on other people. Um, so it's, it's, you know, then it's kind of like whoever understands, understands, and I appreciate that. And then if, if you don't understand or if you refuse to understand, that's going to be okay with me too. Like I'm still going to be all right. That's one thing I'm really grateful for the pandemic, um, you know, in, in terms of the forced isolation, it's really, you know, I felt like I had a lot of that feminine, you, you know, I've talked we talk a lot about like having how we have a lot of difficulty with female relationships. And like, I spent so much of my life kind of feeling like gregarious and, and the funny one and like, Oh, you know, the performer. And I felt like I would have these relationships, but then always really like fundamentally feel very lonely. And that there was only like a, you know, a very, very small group of people, basically my, my husband and my kids and my one friend from university, like, you know, that I felt, uh, an unconditional attachment to, but like generally always feeling very lonely and, and feeling a sense of FOMO, mm-hmm. um, and and I think it really sort of took my diagnosis and a lot of that self-reflection and a lot of the understanding sort of why I, you know, had difficulty with the relationships. It's also helped me like feel like I don't need more than just the, those few people, right? It's the loneliness was coming from a sense that of how I felt like I should have way more close connections and that I could be okay with temporal momentary, you know, igniting conversations that are like really intense. And then, you know, and then you're on your way and that you kind of like these ships crashing in the night. we're both, we're going in different directions. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I just kind of was like, you know what, I'm just going to go with the flow and just accept that, you know, what relationships can offer in the moment. And, and I've realized like a lot of my sense of loneliness was coming from of what I thought I should be doing. And I, like you said, like there's, when you, when you let go of that, when you let go of feeling like I should be any other way than who I am, it's so yeah. freeing. hundred percent. And I think that 
I think I've got like, I can count on one hand, like the people who I consider and my sister is one of them. She's my best friend. And so I've got like four other people that I feel like I can go to. And I don't always feel like I'm the best friend to those people. And so I feel like I'm always apologizing profusely, but at the same time, it's just, I don't know. I, I think it teaches the people in your life, something about compassion and humanity as well. Um, so I think it's, it's a gift to all. And then also, I don't think that I could keep up with more than that many close friendships. I just, it would drain me. And I would be like, if I had to apologize to 37 people about not showing up for our friendship, I think it would be the end of me. So I'm like, I'm good with my four or five (laughs) close friends. I can't really handle more than that. I'm just not built that way. So I'm, I feel like I'm content in, in the intimate relationships department as far as friendships go. And, and again, I, I, this is difficult because I think we want to be understood. That's just fundamental for any human, but I'm just, I'm so, I've gotten to the point after, you know, after you go, I'm 29. So after you go virtually 30 years feeling misunderstood, I think that there's this shift that happens. But I just feel like I've gotten to a point where instead of trying to convince people or persuade people or even educate people, um, I would rather, I need to use that energy to take care of myself. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of more, I don't know. I'm, I want to be really careful because I understand that there are people who um, are doing you know, their version of, of trying to understand, but sometimes there's just, there's going to be that like inherent disconnect. And I think you have to be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And I just think that you're, if you find yourself in one of those relationships, your energy as someone with ADHD, as someone with sometimes limited energy, it's just better spent um, doing things that fill you up. I agree. You know, I, it, it is so revelatory in the beginning. And so I did, I shouted from the rooftops. Oh my yes. God. And it was so it was amazing, but then you very quickly realize how much people don't understand what you're talking about, or they have their opinions that you really don't want to hear, or, you know, like you realize how it is a very difficult thing to talk about with people, unless you're talking directly to other people who have gone through this experience. And I think why it's so wonderful when we do find each other and find that community and why community is such an important part of our diagnosis journey and our healing. Right. And, and so I've, yeah, I've, you know, there, I've, I know when people first get diagnosed, there's a sense of urgency of like, how do I talk about this with my partner? How do I talk about this with my boss? And I'm like, yeah, maybe you should just uh, <laughs> hold off on that. Right. <laughs> safe in this little, <laughs> right? in this little circle, that's our circle. Um, I'm like, if you really want to talk about it, like make TikTok videos or start a podcast. Yes. <laughs> yes. Something. But yeah, you want to talk to people who get it. I feel like community is so massive. Yeah, but it is funny because like it's it has almost uh, I wouldn't say isolated me from my the people who are closest, um, but it has been like the people who I am closest with in terms of family members. It's been the most difficult to talk about because of there's so yeah. much miscommunication, and I think also yeah. like with my two older brothers, you know my. I was the young screw up in my family who, you know, who flunked out of high school and then flunked out of university and then like couldn't hold down a job and was always chasing this and chasing that and moving here and doing this. Right. 
And I was the flake in the family. And that was kind of my, oh, eye rolling. Oh, Katie, there she goes again. And so there is a part of me when I talk about the ADHD where I'm like, this explains everything that I did, right? (laughs) But I also kind of feel a sense of like, there she goes again. Now she's grasping ADHD and she's made up. Right? I know. I I got a sense of that when you were talking about your sister and your mother. (laughs) You're just like, you get this sense of like, again, you can feel like the, the eye roll and you're like, you're like, no, but this really, it's not an excuse. It's an explanation. Like, uh, I totally get it. I totally get it. And then everyone's like, oh, so everything is your ADHD now. And I'm like, no, it's always. <laughs> I know. Yeah. This is who I've been my entire life and just in things make sense. And you want people to be really happy for you. You want people to be as happy for you as you are to have answers. But, um, some people just are not ready to hear them. And that's, Okay. Yeah. I think it's really been eye-opening to see how, how, um, solitary the struggle is to, you know, that uh, there aren't very many people in your life who realize the depths to which you were struggling, you know, and, and how difficult some of these moments in life were. And like, I, you know, whenever I have those moments, which I have a lot, which is like, maybe I'm making it all up. Maybe I don't have ADHD. Maybe I'm just lazy. Yeah. And then I, and then I'm like, no, you got to think like, then you got to go back and like, remember middle school. Oh yeah. Remember high high school. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That was a disaster. Oh, remember, you know, (laughs) motherhood. And I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. So I have to like remind myself, um, but that, that internalized stigma is so deep in terms of like, you know, I I love telling, like, I, I feel like another huge part of our diagnosis is the doubt and the, and the self, the minimizing yeah. and the, maybe I, this isn't what it is. And maybe I'm just grasping yeah. at straws and maybe this is one more, you know, snake oil that I'm reaching for or something like that. Yeah. Cause I, I do, I feel like there can be this sense of, I feel like this is more relevant maybe to those of us who are diagnosed later in life. You almost feel so desperate for an answer that you feel like you can't accept the first one that comes your way, even if it's the right one. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, this, this can't be it. But like, I, I so want this to be it because it would explain everything. So there's that, like, you're afraid because there is so much desperation to be understood and to have your experiences validated and to learn that you are not in fact broken. It can be scary. Like, it can be really scary to buy into the first thing someone tells you, but oftentimes it's not even the first thing that we're told. I think we're misdiagnosed. A lot of us way before we're, we're diagnosed with, you know, the right disorder or condition. Um, yeah, I, I got told about anxiety and which is a part of ADHD, I think, but so many people are, they've got these comorbidities or they've just been told that it's, it's bipolar disorder or something else that it isn't, um, which is really sad. And that's a whole other topic, but yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I feel like that's another one that I, I, no, I just sort of feel like, you know, again, I, it's one of my pet peeves or, or one of my soapbox topics too, which is just the way in which we are minimized by medical professionals when we have been seeking, you know, when we've been looking for that answer and we feel like we have found it. And then the and medical professionals are like, Whoa, slow down. ADHD is overdiagnosed, right? Exactly. Right. And, um, yeah. Uh, and, oh, it's, this is, you know, don't, don't seek a diagnosis because of a TikTok video. And you're like, why not? Are you kidding me? That's my big thing again on TikTok now. I'm like, I am so for everyone that is finally seeking a diagnosis and that has felt like they wanted to for 
their entire lives. Or I love the people, the people that really um, tug at my heartstrings are those people who didn't even know what ADHD really was. They didn't even know to pursue a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, those are the people that I love getting the comments from that I'm making my appointment tomorrow. I'm like, go you advocate for yourself. I'm always telling, I'm like, advocate for yourself. That's the biggest thing. And don't let someone, uh, and this is one of those, you run into a lot of the, I have the degree doctors, but don't let someone minimize all the life experience that you have being you because you resonated with a TikTok video. Mm-hmm. You know, like, don't forget that you're you, you know, that you've been living with you your entire life. Um, and I just, I think I'm grateful for TikTok. I'll just, I'm like, I'll leave it at that. I'm very grateful for TikTok. I, um, I am too. And I think it is absolutely um, the perfect medium for, for these answers, you know, and, and it's, it, it's fast. Like, I think it's a really interesting, like PhD thesis. I hopefully somebody is working on about like the one minute vignette, you know, and, and like the power of the one minute vignette, because I think it's been really like changing the conversation on so many different social and political issues. 100%. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their GoHenry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. Again, that's GoHenry.com slash WomenADHD. TNCs apply, renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. What are your thoughts about um, RSD and acting? Because I had another actor who I was speaking to, I interviewed another actor, Emily Donahoe, and I was like really curious to talk to her about RSD because of how much rejection actors experience (laughs) in their profession. And she was like... I don't have it. You know, she was sort of like, I don't think I could be an actor if I had RSD because uh, you have to be thick skinned. And and so after, and I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. But I also sort of feel like there's so much more to RSD than just being rejected. Like, I think there's so much, like when I think of RSD, I think a lot of it is like rumination and overthinking. And uh, so I'm curious if you like had thoughts about it in terms of your chosen profession yeah. <laughs> or just in general? I am the opposite of, her name is Emily. Yeah. I'm the opposite of Emily. <laughs> I like definitely have it. I attribute it to the ADHD. It's, it's, and like you said, it is, it's a lot more than just getting your feelings hurt, which that has happened to me as well. You know, we want to be good at everything and we've been told that we're wrong so much that we're always looking for someone to tell us that we're right. And you want that from your acting teacher. You want to be told that you did the scene right and that you made them feel something. And that, and when that doesn't happen, it's really easy to think I need to pick a different career. I'm not cut out for this. I am horrible. I am not like you go down this whole rabbit hole, but beyond that, it's like you said, it's the rumination. You walk into an audition room and um, the casting directors are sitting right in front of you and they're, you know, 
talking about something that they were talking about before you walk in and you're like, they're talking about me. They hate me. Oh my God. They hate me already. I haven't even started auditioning. And it's so easy to, I, and I just made a video about this. You see two people talking or laughing and you automatically assume that it's about you. And it doesn't happen every single time, but that's such, that happens way more often than people talk about. Or when they're speaking in another language, like on the bus in a city, I automatically think they are making fun of hundred percent or even just, um, I, I don't know. I think RSD can mimic social anxiety for those of us with ADHD. And um, yeah, I, I think it's really easy to get caught up in these social interactions and you're wondering if you said the right thing or like what they're really thinking about you. And it's a whole, it's a whole thing. I think that should be like one of my next videos. Is it RSD or social anxiety? That's great. I know. I, I feel like I asked the question, is it, is it ADHD or feminism? <laughs> I know. Right. Seriously. Right. But like at the end of the day, there's so many ways in which I feel like my ADHD is exacerbated by, you know, the expectations of being a female in society, you know, when it comes to body image and eating and being likable and like all of these things. And that's the other thing that I, you know, I also talk about with guests who are people of color where I'm just like, you have that all of that is then amplified by being a visible minority, right? Which is like, you have to be likable. You have to behave in every situation. You can never like be angry without anybody saying, well, you're just an angry black woman, you know, like it's. Or late. Right, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) It's like. Because you have ADHD, then it's your unprofessional. Or. I really have, I have problems like managing my time and understanding how long things actually take. Yeah. Or even just like, you know, I I remember I was interviewing a physician who was a black woman who was like, anytime I made any mistake, there was that assumption of like, well, see, you've proven us right that you don't belong here, you know? And I just like, ah, it just, so, so many times I think about like that, those microaggressions and the collective trauma throughout our lives that have kind of led us to where we are. Uh, Again, I'm sort of like, is it ADHD or is, is it just that we live in this fucking country? (laughs) Yeah, you're like, am I wrong or is everybody else wrong? Right? Yeah, yeah. I know. And yeah. that's why I think it's also so interesting, you know, why I think the conversation around ADHD being a superpower is so problematic because I think like, yeah, it's really easy to call it a superpower when you've had accommodations in life and you're, you know, like that comes down to so much of that comes down to like, what was your environment growing up? What was your family life growing up? Like what was available to you? Like, you know, you know, slow down with the superpower talk and let's like, (laughs) you know, I just feel like it comes from such a place of like inequity. I don't know. I'm laughing because I definitely am someone who has referred to ADHD as a superpower before, but in, in terms of, I think what I'm trying to do when I'm using the term is I'm, I just, I have a heart for the broken people because I know what it feels like to believe that you're broken and to, to feel that. And so I want to come from a place of empowerment and I'm like, no, no, no. Okay. So maybe you're always late and maybe you're messy and maybe you're not organized, but guess what? I bet you can hyper-focus and it's like, you'd be an amazing entrepreneur. And so I do, I do the superpower thing, but I also, I I feel like I balance that out with education. I'm always educating in my videos, but I'm, I I really strive to empower as well. Because I know what it's like to be told you're wrong, like who you are fundamentally is wrong. And so I really, I try to get people to see the, the things that are powerful about their amazing brains. Yeah. So, but yeah. 
And I think that is part of that, the shift in narrative too, is, you know, once you get to a place where you're like, oh my goodness, I do have all these strengths. I am bringing all of this stuff to the table. I am like, you know, you know, all of these ways in which I sort of suspected I was incredibly bright, but could never quite show it in, in ways that yeah. were meaningful. Like, you know, it is, it like, you really do lean into your strengths. And I think that it is an amazing shift in terms of, um, you know, what we can like about ourselves and what we can, and, and what we are incredible at. Um, and I also think with the superpower, oh crap, I lost it. It's flying away. Um, no, there was uh, superpower, superpower. Um, <laughs> wait, oh, grit. Wait. no, it was, okay. that was it. It was grit. Right. Which I think is another incredible quality that a lot of us share, which was like, coming, you know, when you were in a situation where you've grown up your whole life, kind of feeling wrong and feeling like, you know, being, being corrected for things that seem out of your control. And, you know, that there is a way in which you're sort of like, okay, what can I do? Do I wallow or do I pick myself up on my bootstraps and move on? And I think that there's like, so many of us do have that sense of grit where it's like, okay, where, what's the lesson I can learn? What's the silver lining? What is the, um, you know, strength, based, um, initiatives that can come out of this. So yeah, like that's why I, I don't, I certainly don't disagree that ADHD is a superpower because like, I feel like my life has just changed so dramatically as a result of it, but I also sort of feel like it's, you have to tread carefully. It can get, oh, it no. can get like uh, a little and toxic. Say, I totally get your perspective as well. And like you said, it is easy to you know, believe it's easy for that conversation to turn toxic when, like you said, you've grown up with the accommodations and all these things. I do feel like it would have been really easy for me to undiagnose, look at someone and say, well, sure, it's a superpower for you. You've got, you know, all this help. But again, I just try to think about all the ways that like I've been excelling in spite of, in spite of not even knowing that I had ADHD. And I'm like, okay, yeah, superpower. Right. Yeah. So I totally get your perspective though. I mean, it's, is, I don't know. I feel like it, it can almost make you feel more wrong when someone views this thing that you have too as a superpower, but you don't feel like it's been a superpower in your life. You're like, that's not my experience. So I totally, I totally get your perspective as well. Yeah, I know it has been. Um, I, I And I, I'm always reluctant to dismiss anytime somebody is really, truly struggling, because I think, you know, just knowing you have ADHD is not going to solve all of your issues. It's not going to make your depression magically go away. Like, you know, there are ways in which we still need to advocate for ourselves and each other. And, and there are still a lot of struggles and I never want to minimize that for anybody because we have, all we've done has been minimized our whole lives. Right. So I, but I do, but I also, you know, don't want to talk about it. Like it is this serious disorder. <laughs> I yeah. have just as much of an issue with the term disorder. So. I find myself pausing. Like I'll, I will say disorder, but I find myself pausing and thinking about whether or not I want to say disorder or condition all the time. And okay. most of the time when I think about it, when I'm like intentional, I, I'll say condition. Cause I also, I too have issue with the term disorder. <laughs> I find myself saying it more than I want to, but again, yeah. when I'm like really thinking about it, I'm like, okay, it's, it's a condition. It's not a disorder. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the differences in our brain. Um, 
Well, and that's why it always, sometimes I get confused when I'm listening to certain medical professionals, because I think, you know, I'm like, are you talking about ADHD in terms of like what characteristics are being exhibited in your patient? And then there you're looking at it as a disorder because it is abnormal, or are you looking at ADHD as a neuro, you know, as a, as a neurodivergence and you're looking at it as a sort of a brain type and therefore there's no possible way it's a disorder right because yeah so again it all comes down to the environment in which we it's different not disorder no but I think a lot of medical professionals think of and talk about ADHD in terms of like what is present in the room right now what are what are the what are the things we're looking at? What are the symptoms of this and how can we quote unquote cure it? You know, another word that I have such issue with, right. It's like, there's (laughs) literally books out there that are like how to cure your ADHD. I'm like, ah, like, uh, so yeah, it's like, that's a whole nother episode. (laughs) I don't need to be cured, but yeah. When I was diagnosed with ADHD, it completely turned my world upside down. I looked back at so much of my life, my grades in school, my multiple careers and hobbies, my friendships, my marriage, motherhood, my relationship with food and my body, like all of this with a new lens. And it was overwhelming to say the least. If you've been diagnosed with ADHD and you're feeling blown away by this new insight into your brain and how it operates, I totally understand. I can help you begin to sort through this chaos, explore who you are and how your brain operates so you can finally start to lean into your strengths and begin to use them to your advantage moving forward. Together, we can work to identify what obstacles you've been facing and create strategies to help you start living a more fulfilling, gratifying life. Head over to womeninadhd.com coaching to book a 30-minute initial consult with me so we can figure out if my brand of one-on-one coaching is right for you. Again, that's womenandadhd.com slash coaching. And you can find that link in the episode show notes. So we've, I know we've talked about this, but I do want to come back to like, what do you love most about your diagnosis or what is, what has changed most for you since this journey has started? Yeah, I think what um, I love the most is my ambition and the fact that I'm a visionary, huge visionary. I couldn't, I don't think that I could ever be a COO, (laughs) but I would make it amazing. And I do have my own skincare brand. I do think that I'm, I'm a great CEO. I've got vision. I'm really great at big picture thinking. And I love that. I'm super ambitious. I'm always, I feel like I'm always pursuing something. Like I'm never, I'm never chill. I definitely, for someone who's inattentive, I do feel like I'm very hyperactive. I mean, it's all here. Um, but like my ideas, I've got this notebook that I like keep with me and it's like, it's just pages and pages of like ideas. So I love that. I think that's my favorite thing about, um, my ADHD brain. And then I think the way that I've changed the most since receiving a diagnosis is just being gracious with myself, being a lot more kind to myself. Um, and also insisting that other people are kind to me as well. Um, it's advocating. Yeah. Yes, exactly. It's advocating. It's learning how to advocate for myself and that that's a thing and that I'm supposed to do that. And you know, that I can do that in an assertive way. It doesn't have to be aggressive, but, um, just learning to not let people say things to you that could tear down, you know, your confidence or your sense of self, if you do struggle with RSD. Um, but it's also learning to not say those things to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I notice that in little ways, like when I go to the doctor's office now, 
I will say things like, you're throwing a lot of information at me right now. Can you please give it to me in, uh, you know, can, in print so that yeah. I can, because I'm not going to remember this. Whereas in the past, I would have been so frazzled and so overwhelmed. And, you know, I have my 15 minutes and then they shove me out. And then I'm in the parking lot just being like, what just happened? You know, so. like, your, your notes and you're like, I think that says Apple. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, so there is, I think it's just been like a heightened awareness in the moment where I am able to advocate for myself in very little ways, right? Where yeah. I'm like, I need you, or, or especially at home, right? Where I'm like, you know, I, if I'm getting really irritated and really snippy with people, I can go through the checklist and be like, all right, is there music happening in another room that's really tinny? Is the TV on? Are people yelling? Is there like weird flickering lights? Do I need sleep? You know, like I can go it's through a lot of that. At the same time. <laughs> the sensory <laughs> thing has been huge for me. It was not yeah. anything. I, I had no idea I had any sensory issues whatsoever. I had just mm -hmm. never thought about it. Yes. Until I had a melt, I had a full fledged meltdown. This was maybe like, uh, three, six, three, six months ago. I'm with my family. My dad's here. My younger sister, I've got two younger sisters. One of them is 16 years younger than me. So more like my kid than my sister, but you know, my dad's talking and she's talking and my, um, my best friend, who's my sister Kennedy, she's talking and I, I, I can hear people chewing. <laughs> my pet peeve in life. And it's like, there's talking, there's chewing, there's yelling, there's background music because my brother's watching TV. And I literally had to go upstairs and lock myself in a room and no light, no sound. And my, my youngest sister, Korea, she comes in the room, she turns on the light and I'm like bawling. I'm just like, I'm just really overwhelmed right now, but I'm okay, I promise. And that was the first time that I'd ever experienced like a shutdown. I was like, I had no idea that this, that this was inside of me, like this, this disdain for like all the noise at one time. I had no idea. Yeah. Um, I know. Right. I used to always have this feeling where I would have to go to my room and like, mommy needs to take a nap. Right. And long after my kids stopped napping, I continued to nap. And even if I wasn't napping, like I wasn't falling asleep, I just like, I needed everything to stop. And that was the way I could do it. And so of course, along with that came the guilt of like, oh, I'm so lazy that I need to take a nap and I'm, I'm shirking my maternal duties and all of that stuff. But like, now I realize like, I really just needed time in the middle of the day for, for nothing, for it all to just stop. And that was the only way I could. So it's, and I find able it to show up later in the day for the people that you love. Yeah. So I, I find it very fascinating uh, to look back and, and think of the ways in which we kind of holistically took care of ourselves without even knowing what we needed. And I, and I, I don't know, I always like love to think about that and give that, that give that younger version of me a hug, you know, or when we talk about yeah. like little kids doing things that seem like, oh, why is he doing it? Why is he being so weird? Why is he doing that? Why is he covering his ear? You know, and I'm just like, it, it always amazes me how, um, how, you know, we do like at the end of the day, really try to take care of ourselves in the best way we know how. And, and yes. I think that's so beautiful. I think about how, again, before receiving a diagnosis, I was like, you could, I would have never believed that I was autistic. I just didn't, I didn't, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know what that looked like. But again, after receiving, receiving the diagnosis and looking at the list, I'm like, oh my gosh, I, this is my identity. I am this, <laughs> but like, I've been stimming, speaking of taking care of yourself since I was a baby. And a lot of the times it's called self-soothing. 
Mm-hmm. And I've been doing that since I came out of the womb. So like you said, it's like that innate, you just know that this is a thing that you need and you just, you get it done. You do it before you even know that it has a name or a reason or a rhyme. You just, you get it done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have, have you been watching the uh, Love on a, Love on the Spectrum dating reality show? Okay. So I just found it on Netflix maybe a couple weeks ago and I watched like the first two or three episodes of season one. So if there's anything that happened in this new season, because I know there's a new season, I'm like, don't tell me, don't tell me. But I'm a few episodes into season one. Do you feel like an overwhelming sense of like peace and relief? Because I actually haven't seen it um, because I I was a little reluctant to because I felt like the trailers kind of infantilized the characters a little bit where I was like, oh, this could be problematic where they're like, look, people with autism, they're real humans just like us. Yeah. (laughs) So I was never that interested in it, but I've heard so many good things about it. Uh, in just in terms of like the, the utter lack of social masking and how, like, as a neurodivergent, it's been sort of, people have been watching it and feeling like such relief where it's like, Oh my God, it's so nice to have conversations where you don't have to like pretend or self edit in any kind of way. So, yeah, I definitely have noticed the lack of self editing and the lack of masking. And I just, I look at that and I'm like, I so admire that. (laughs) But also because I'm someone who, and I, I try to, like when I'm explaining autism, I try to illustrate what it looks like, what the spectrum actually looks like. And it's not like, you know, left versus how far right you can go. But I, there are so many traits that are turned down for me that I'm seeing. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not seeing myself completely in this show just yet, but that's okay. I'm like, I know it'll come. Um, so I definitely want to continue watching and, and get into season two, but I totally do admire like just the ability to show up and you know, this is who I am and it works out because this is also who you are. And like, we're going to have a great different life. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm like, is there, and is there a dating app? Do you know? Oh, is I don't know, but there should be there. Let's see, look at you see big ideas. Um, I don't know. Um, there, if there isn't, there definitely should be, I think. Ooh, I'm going to look into that now. <laughs> I'm like me, entrepreneurial, but back to the conversation. Uh, well, no, that's a great segue to talk about your business venture. So, uh, so you were on Empire. Are you going to be, is this a recurring character or was that a? So Empire, um, we actually filmed our sixth and final season last, I think I filmed my last episode in February. Um, and that's when the show wrapped. We wrapped right around the beginning of the pandemic. Okay. I remember being on set when I got the news that COVID had broken out. Um, yeah, so it was, it's, it's, it's been great. Um, so I did two episodes, which it was supposed to be one episode from what I've been told. And the showrunner saw my first performance and really loved it. And so he decided to invite me back, which is I will cherish that for probably the rest of my life. I mean, I could be like accepting an Oscar and I will still think about <laughs> that moment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so Empire uh, is wrapped, but there is, um, I, I'm i trying to think about um, what I'm allowed to say. <laughs> I will just say stay tuned okay. if you um, were an Empire fan. Like I'll oh, just say that. Okay, I, gotcha. That's okay to say. Um, yeah. And so now you're working on Temple Face and Body, which yeah. is your own company, right? Yeah, so it's a clean luxury skincare brand, and um, it kind of was birthed before 
it was birthed as a company, the concept was because I had done so much digging and so much searching for answers. And I found out how toxins can kind of wreak havoc on our brains. I'm like, I need nothing else wreaking havoc on my brain. I was like, there's been enough havoc to you know, last me my life. And so I started looking into what these toxins do to our brains and what all these different chemicals actually do to our brains. And that's when I started looking into non-toxic living and clean living. Um, and so I knew when I came out with a skincare brand, I wanted it to be clean and non-toxic. So yeah, that's kind of like the, the concept behind Temple Face and Body. And it's called Temple because your body is a temple. So yeah. Oh. But Temple's my baby. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, great. So I will I will definitely link to your awesome TikTok account and to okay. Temple. Is there anything else? How, how else can people find you on the World Wide Web yeah, I mostly show up on TikTok, um, but I'm the same handle on TikTok and Instagram, Carrington L. Bruton. Um, I'm on Twitter, uh, mostly as a spectator. I just scroll my TL and like laugh at everything. Um, I, post, I post wildly for like one day and then I forget it exists for three weeks. And then- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I am on Twitter. I'm like, what is my Twitter name? I think it's Carrington LB um, on Twitter. And then... Um, what else? And then Temple Face and Body is at Temple Face and Body on Instagram. I'm not sure what we are on TikTok because I think I had to do a different name. Um, and then TempleFaceandBody.com is where you can find our Red Sea Cleanser. And when we come out with our moisturizer, obviously that'll be housed there too. So. Well, I'm so pleased that I got to know you and got to pick your brain a little bit more and find out your story. Thank you for having me. And there you have it. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, you know, we ADHDers crave feedback and I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. If you're a fan of the podcast, please take a moment to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts or Audible. And if that feels like too much and I get it, then just take a few seconds right now to give me a five-star rating. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this gift of neurodivergency. And they may still be struggling and don't even know why. And if you'd like to find out more about me and my one-on-one coaching for women with ADHD, head over to womenandadhd.com slash coaching. And you can always find that link in the show notes. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who discovered that she is not lazy or crazy or broken, but she has ADHD and she is now on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using this gift to her advantage. Take care till then. The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeats, B-E-E-T-S dot com and save 15% with promo code DEAL.